Welcome to the Tao of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society, and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I'm Doug Belshaw. And I'm Laura Hilliger. This podcast season is currently unfunded. You can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com slash weareopen. Today, we are going to be talking to our co-op colleagues about their predictions and hopes for 2022. And after that, we're going to talk a little bit about dormancy, how it's different from a sabbatical, and how we use the idea in our co-op. So let's get started. So I thought it would be really interesting um, if we thought about what predictions or things we're looking forward to as a co-op. So we've invited um, members of our co-op, Anna in turn, Anna, to kind of have some input here. So um, why don't we just go around and everyone says hello, and then we're going to kind of go through what kind of predictions or things we're looking forward to this year. So we've got Brian. This is Brian's voice. Hello, everyone. We've got Anna. This is Anna's voice. Hi. And we've got John. This is John's voice. Hello there. Cool. So let's just go in that order, I guess. We'll add Laura and I's in there as well. Brian, what kind of predictions or things are you looking forward to in 2022? Well, um, as you know, Doug, only fools predict things or try to predict things. Uh, but I do have some things I'm looking forward to, I think. I'm looking forward to new adventures because uh, adventure... Uh, especially whenever things are adventures are, are sort of restricted adventure, um, I suppose it gets our hearts racing, doesn't it? So uh, I thrive on adventure anyway. And um, I'm looking forward to finding some new stories. Uh, so I quite enjoyed that in the second part of last year um, of sort of unearthing some stories, in particular in Ireland. Um, and then finally telling some of those stories. So obviously... In, in often in a visual way, um, I think that's where my heart is pointing me towards, sort of telling telling some new stories uh, in in the coming year, and that that's what I'm looking forward to. There you are. Cool. Um, Laura, let's do you and I last. So let's go on to Anna. Anna, what are you looking forward to? Predictions? Um, although Brian said that only a fool predicts things, so I feel like I can't do my predictions now. But anyway, Anna, what type of predictions or things are you looking forward to in 2022? Uh, well, the thing I'm looking most forward to is the beginning of the end of my time at the university. So even though I... Uh, still need some time, like a year or something, I will start writing my bachelor thesis and think about my bachelor thesis. And this is very exciting because it's like an end boss or something. <laughs> and yeah, I can, I can feel it, but I'm excited for it. And yeah, that makes me happy. And I think I'm a fool, so I have a prediction. <laughs> um, I think we will... Or And I'm also looking forward to it, and I think we will hug more people again this year. And I'm looking forward to it, and I think that's a nice thing for me. Aw, hugs. Hugs yeah. are good. <laughs> good stuff. Um, shall we move on to you, John? Yeah, what am I looking forward to? I think this year I'm going to be looking a bit more here on, you know, as a guest on the Dow of WOW. I've started to look at DAOs again, so decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, and 
with a bit more time to look now interested in uh, looking again, I guess. So a few years ago, started to see these things popping up and was and still am interested in the very fuzzy lines in this space and where some of them are starting to overlap into the world of co-ops and credit unions and the future of decentralized finance. And over the course of this year, we might get some clues as to whether something in that space turns into the equivalent of Lloyd's of London or whatever for a new phase of you know financial organizations or the whole thing crashes and burns and uh, takes the planet with it are you predicting that you're going to be a crypto millionaire by this time next year uh no uh, or well possibly but that might not translate into you know a fiat millionaire i think you can have billions and billions oh because of tokens worthless to get tokens like, um, yeah one dollar is like five billion shibu inu or something it could be like as we speak, it could have uh, gone up by that amount, I guess, and back down, and back up, <laughs> and back down, and back down. Okay. Any any other predictions or things you're looking forward to? Um, partly off the back of that, also looking forward to the tech in that space continuing to evolve, and uh, uh, there'll be more clarity around the carbon impact of those technologies. Um, I'm one of the people who is not as concerned with the overall carbon impact of blockchain, etc., because I think the tech will improve. And I think when you measure it against the carbon impact of the infrastructure required to stand up, you know, the United States plus its army plus everything that you know you need to run existing established currencies um bitcoin doesn't look quite so scary Mm, interesting okay laura let's move on to you what predictions do you have or things that you're looking forward to well i'm no fool but i still have two predictions uh number one i think that 2022 is going to feel slower um than the last couple of years So even though the pandemic had a lot of people forcibly slow down in terms of what they were doing in the world, I don't think anybody felt like, you know, kind of grokked that emotionally. And I think this will be the year uh, that people feel that slowdown and can take it in and digest it and even get more done because they understand rest in a different way. Um, So that's one prediction. And the other prediction that I have for 2022 is that the new superfood will be insect-based and everybody in the Zencaster at the moment will become addicted to some kind of insect something. Uh, Listeners, my colleagues here are shaking their heads as if it is impossible. (laughs) Oh, some, some of our colleagues are shaking their heads. Uh, But I still predict that by the end of the year, there will be a lot more insect-based foods. Well, on that, right, I went to Future Fest, NASA's Future Fest about five, six years ago, and there was a food food futurologist talking about that. Um, And I often say, because I'm vegetarian, and I often say to people who eat meat, do you really like kind of char-grilled steak and stuff, or do you just like the burnt kind of caramelized bit of it? Yeah, because often when you present to someone something which is vegetable-based, 
but actually has that kind of caramelized char grill thing like oh this is really tasty which i think proves my point so i would say with the insect bit if you cover it in sugar it'll be really tasty I would suggest Brian. though necessity is the mother of all invention, uh, as I say every other five minutes. Um, and so if there's a problem that causes people to then switch to eating insects, then uh, maybe maybe that'll that'll take place, but I can't see it happening. I have one more thing to say, catastrophe. I think you're right. There is already insect based um, pet food, for example. Yeah. Oh, there's so maybe already, that will be the boom industry. Sorry, there's, Lord, there's already insect-based human food, too. And uh, my prediction is that it will become superfood status. So it'll be all over the streets of L.A. And, you know, people wear yoga pants with their insect cereal bar. Everyone should see John's face right now. He looks totally disgusted. I'm just thinking <laughs> of what can I feed to my insects? So, I don't know, can mm. I feed, you know, the neighbor that i'm in dispute with to termites that i keep or something like that i don't know i feel like i should insect-based crypto startups is a hot prediction for 2022 yes doug what are your predictions i have three um and i pity the fool um so first one is i'm looking forward to meeting up with people in person i realized that I, I need for my mental health and general optimistic outlook on life to meet up with people in person. I'm looking forward to meeting up with all of you lot. I haven't seen any of you in person since January 2020. And yeah, some of you I've never met, like Anna. So looking forward to meeting up with you in person. I don't know where that'll be because of travel rest- restrictions and stuff. Um, a few people have mentioned rest and recuperation and kind of cadence of the year and stuff. I've been thinking about that recently. And so instead of trying to take Wednesdays off and failing at that, I'm looking forward to planning to take April, August and December as much as possible off co-op work, um, which might mean that I end up doing other kinds of work. um, But it might mean that I go camping for a week or do a long trip or do some research or whatever. So I'm looking forward to making space for that. And then the third one is a pit left field, but kind of meshes with what John said. I have started to see crypto regulations step in. So this, we've already had the existing machinery of state, the existing world order kind of um, see crypto as an enemy. Um, Then there's been a bit of a truce. And I think now you're going to see, because of climate fears or whatever, uh, proof of work, things like Bitcoin being banned in certain countries either because they honestly think it's a good idea or because it's a bit of a um, climate smokescreen, greenwashing kind of thing. So they're my three predictions or looking forward to meeting up in person, um, taking some months off and crypto regulation. That's what I'm talking about. So today we want to talk about um, a policy, a standard, a, I don't really know what to call this exactly, uh, a I'll call it a policy that we have at We Are Open. Um, We call it dormancy. And essentially what it means is that we enable our members to take some time off from the co-op while remaining members. And so today we kind of want to talk a little bit about where it came from, why we came up with it, and how it is a bit different from quitting your job or earning a sabbatical. 
Um, and I think to kick us off on the conversation, uh, I would love to ask one of the other co-op members if you would like to describe dormancy uh, better than I just did. Well, we've got this on our wiki. So at wiki.weareopen.coop, we have some guidelines about membership. And in that, we've got what dormant membership is. And this is something which we've um, iterated over time based on necessity. So um, we can go through that, I guess, just to give people a flavor. Yeah. You want to go for it? Um, yeah, I, I could read them all out, but basically the summary is that when, when you're dormant, you're not expectly, expected to come to our weekly meetings or, or make decisions based on proposals. You're not asked to work on projects. Um, you still have to pay your yearly membership dues, um, which we yeah, which we pay each year. You're welcome to join co-op days and get involved. You still have a voice. You can be asked things, etc. But you might not have a vote. If you're dormant um, and there's a decision that needs to be taken and you're not around, then um, you might not get a, a vote unless it's about the structure of the co-op. And uh, I think we decided that a member can be dormant for up to a year. And then after that, the, re the remaining members can kind of retire the member. Although... Yeah, we ha we've never done that. We don't really want to do that. And it's just in there as kind of a, a fail safe, I guess. Have I missed anything? No, I think that's a basic flavor. And I just want to talk a little bit about the why we came up with this. And it, it actually started a couple of years ago when we had a member um, who was working on other projects alongside projects at the co-op. And the responsibilities or the expectations of other members got to be a bit too much. And this person was feeling stressed. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that the co-op as a structure remained intact um, without, you know, without actually having to um, let a member go or, you know, have somebody quit. And we, we wanted to make sure that there, we had a way to allow people to take space when they needed it. Um, and, and that's kind of where the, the dormancy came from. So we've had two members who have taken advantage of this policy. Um, John, I'd love to ask you to talk a little bit about your experience uh, with dormancy because you have just come back from a dormant period. Yeah, so like Laura said, quite recently I went dormant towards the end of last year, towards the end of 2021. Um, uh, so... I guess the bit of backstory to this is um, I'm one of the founder members alongside Brian, Laura and Doug. But then quite quickly after the formation of the co-op, I ended up getting a full time job somewhere else. Part of the understanding for that job was that I would be still doing about a day a month as part of my co-op commitments. Um, but then over ebbs and flows of time, I did more or less. But towards the end of um, last year, I was feeling burnt out in my full-time job, really wanted a bit of space. I'd kind of got trapped in, I think I had made the decision that I wanted to leave my full-time, other full-time gig. Um, and being able to uh, officially declare that I was going dormant and uh, release myself, it's usually self-imposed pressure I guess to feel that you need to show up to the meetings and keep on top of developments and know what people are talking about when there's a new client or some issue 
Um, being able to put that to one side gave me the space I needed to then make the decision to leave my other full-time employment and start 2022 working full-time back inside inside the co-op. So I think is you know as intended it, it did for me what um, I needed it to do, which was really make a uh, you know make that space in my brain to be able to do what I needed to do um, to move forward. I guess. Uh, and Doug, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience with dormancy? Yeah, so I had I was working on a on a project um, that was so by that point we're two years in. There was a lot of stress at that particular point in time. So we're talking what like September October, twenty twenty was it something like that? Um, and I'd already decided I was going to do four days a week for this for this employer. So like John, founded the co-op, but um, kind of stumbled into a kind of a full-time gig. We did four days that I did doing one day a week for a co-op, but it was so difficult to balance that. Um, and going, we invented this dormancy thing so that I could still be part of the co-op. And it's worked out so well because it's like when when that baggage is taken off you that you don't have to pay attention to a thing that you're you've only kind of been paying attention to because you're busy doing this thing over here as soon as someone says you don't have to pay attention to this for a bit it just frees up so much mental space for you to focus on the thing that you need to focus on at that time and then when that's done in my case um it was um i came back when i quit that job like like john did um you can walk straight back into something that you know that you're going to enjoy, that you you like the people that you're working with. Um, and it gives you the space. Um, John, you didn't say this explicitly, but it sounded like, like my experience was, it gives you space to decide, if I focus on this other thing full time, do I even really want to do this anymore? And then when you do that and look at it and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. You can go back to doing something that you know that you can step into and enjoy. So I really value dormancy and we've iterated it since I went dormant. And it sounds like it's been really useful for John too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of our motivation back in the days of forming We Are Open was what's the wrapper that goes around a, a few freelancers that have previously worked together in various different forms and what's a shape that can accommodate these different um, different people's working patterns and needs at different points in their career. Um, so it really has lived up to, to that part of um, what we were hoping um, it would when we started this experiment, I guess. What do you guys think, I mean, instead of going dormant, um, you could have quit the co-op. Um, maybe you want to talk a little bit about what, why dormancy worked for you, why, you know, what do you see the difference between quitting the co-op, which, um, you know, means that you would stop paying membership uh, and stop fulfilling the, the responsibilities, be removed as the director versus going into dormancy and whether or not you actually thought before going into dormancy, if you thought about quitting the co-op or just a little bit about what the difference is for you, either one. Uh, for me, I guess, they may be on different 
time scales. So I kind of thought of We Are Open as a long-term play. And my uh, full-time gig that I stepped into after having started We Are Open, I've never had a full-time job for longer than a couple of years. Two or three years is a long stretch for me. Whereas I thought... um, where previously I'd left full-time employment and stepped into the world of freelancing or consulting completely on my own and thought, oh, well, maybe next time I rage quit a job or get fed up or get the sack, wouldn't it be great if I could step into something that was a bit more structured than that um, and not only have that in place for myself, but I know several other people who would probably appreciate that and benefit from that. Um, so, yeah, I'd always thought of, and when we, we talked about setting up the co-op and we've banded around things like, you know, we've made 10-year commitment in some terms to this experiment. Um, so it was always on a different kind of underlying time frame versus like my more even though some of them have been full-time, they've still felt like you know, gigs rather than a mm. career, maybe. Yeah, mine's very similar to John. So um, I would add, I don't know about John's position, but not only have I only really worked anywhere for two years, Mozilla for three years with two different roles there was the longest I've ever been anywhere, I think. Um, but also I've never been promoted in a job. And I've always promoted myself by moving between jobs. And that that kind of continual hopping is tiring. You have to get to know and work with new people. And there's just something about working with the same people, people that you get on well with and work well with and, and like. And it's like with John, thinking about this on a different time scale. Um, when you're burned out and you're not enjoying a job or you're finding things difficult, that's the worst time to be thinking about oh, I'm going to set up my own business or I'm going to like go job hunting or whatever. So I, yeah, I, I've had times when I've wanted to quit the co-op and I've been very pissed off, of course. There's, but most of the time I find solace and amazing advice and just solidarity. And it, a co-op, the co-op is, or a co-op is something that you own as a member. It's something which is yours. It's not a hole that you are filling within an organization. So it's a very different, it's a very different vibe. It's a very different way of thinking about the world, I would say. So it's not like a sabbatical where someone is maybe paying you or not paying you to go away from this job. It's like you're making the decision yourself that you need some space away from something that you yourself created. I wonder about the, you know, the, a lot of organizations, after you've been there for a certain amount of time, allow you to earn a sabbatical. So some organizations, if you've been there for seven years, then you are entitled to a three-month either fully paid or partially paid sabbatical where you can go off. And they they usually have some sort of a programmatic structure around it. So I know of organizations that have sabbatical programs where you have to take a sabbatical uh, once you've been at the organization for seven years. Um, the sabbatical is three months long and you need to learn something new. So you choose what it is that you want to learn, whatever it may be from learning a new language to learning pottery, whatever. Mm. Um, but you it's actually still have a to... control thing. Yeah. It's it is still, still, yeah. it's still your employer saying, 
yeah, you can have some time off, but let's not go crazy here. Like let's let's make sure there's some structure around it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the way that I see dormancy is as a pressure release. Like you've got pressure on you, self-imposed, whatever it is, and it's a it's an escape valve. You don't have to say, and I will do I promise to do these things while I'm doing it. You can just ride off in the sunset for a bit and everyone else will sort things out and then you can come back at any time. That's yeah. the way that, that I see it. Yeah, and that's uh, you know that's that's the big difference that that I was getting to is that a it feels like a sabbatical, exactly what you just said this this control thing where an organization is sort of forcing you to have a look at your you know mental health after seven years on the job and by God you're also going to take a workshop uh, please submit your receipts from the workshop we're not going to pay for it but we need to know that you actually did it which <laughs> feels very. Uh, very strange. At the same time, I, you know, I wonder in terms of dormancy um, and and the way that we do it, which is self-imposed. I wonder if there's a conversation to be had here around whether how how do you know that you need to go into dormancy or that you need a sabbatical? And are people like how often are people actually able to self-impose that? This conversation gets to, you know, how how you actually pay attention to things, including yourself. Um, so, for example, I know a lot of people in the tech space that cannot ignore Slack. They get a Slack message and they react. They get an email and they react. Um, whereas, you know, I myself don't have a problem. I can ignore my email for a good long while and I don't immediately feel like I need to, to react. And so there's something there about self-awareness and dormancy, um, and, you know, using dormancy when you need it as a, or, or when you want it, as opposed to when you need it, maybe. Yeah. It, it's permission as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, your, the, I have to be careful with the way that I phrase this, but um, you're not seeking permission from other members to go dormant. You're notifying them that you're going to and giving them enough time and and fulfilling your obligations as opposed to asking their permission because they're your boss. Yeah. What else should we say about dormancy? I wish we had some listener questions right now. (laughs) They're really helpful. I'd be interested to bring in Anna and Brian at this point. So, for example, um, Brian's view on, views on dormancy, um, Anna's views on like having worked elsewhere or in different organizations, whether it feels weird or like just, yeah, how, what, what your views are on these things. Well, if I jump in, um, yeah, as uh, the members of co-op already know, I intend to go dormant at the end of this month for a period of three months. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my motivation for that is, um, uh, Laura's looking surprised, faux what? surprised. <laughs> what um, do you mean? <laughs> my, my motivation is that, um, I suppose boils or goes back to the sort of, uh, what I have always got from the co-op in that, um, I have a business that I that predates the co-op visual thinkery that um but that sees me working by myself. Uh and what the co-op has always given me is working with other people uh on projects and therefore you get different work. 
um, and and different opportunities, I suppose. Um, and the trouble is that it has all got very successful, both uh, as a co-op and, uh, and... And that's and a big problem. It is a big problem, and, and visual thinkery. <laughs> and I, especially in the last two years, and I, I sort of find that there is no more room. Um, uh, and, and yet my creative self uh, needs room. Uh, it doesn't know what it needs room for, uh, but it needs to create space for some of those new adventures um, and, and some of those new creations, I suppose. So, um, and, and going dormant is a perfect uh, vehicle, I suppose, for allowing that to allowing that to happen. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm on one hand really looking forward to having a little bit more space than I had, and, but uh, in another way, I'm. I'm I think we've already talked about uh, that there are seasons. Um, there are there are seasons with any uh, work where you're on top or when you're not on top. Um, and therefore, we all want to make wise decisions, don't we, in, in terms of uh, what we give our energy to and or how we get through a season, which is maybe a little bit tricky. Um, and therefore, being reactive, uh, in my opinion, isn't the way forward. So, you know, being able to create space uh, feels a lot more adult uh, to then uh, be able to make good decisions or to be able to come back in and and also maybe realise what you what you actually get from being part of a co-op. Uh, so it, it just seems to be lots uh, of very grown up advantages of, of dormancy as far as as far as I can see. Yeah, I think the the fact that we allow dormancy up to a year um, really speaks to that, the seasonal thing. Like, you know, sometimes in life you just, you need a break. Sometimes it needs to be longer. You need a change of pace. Um, and so I think, you know, if we had said, okay, you can be dormant for a month, but then either you have to come back or, <laughs> you know, that's that's the control thing, whereas a a year is both protective for the co-op because it gives other members an opportunity to, you know, reflect on that past year and what's actually like real and present in the business. And it gives whoever the dormant member is a pretty good chunk of time to to really consider um, how they feel about being part of this organization and and what they really want in in life and in, in work. Yeah, I feel like I can also say there's something. Um, I mean, I'm at the beginning of my career and learning about these things is, I think, very valuable because I think young people don't get taught how to work without uh, like getting burned out or what you do when you get burned out. It's just about you have to learn your whole life and you have to be present and career and yeah, everything like that. And also yeah, now at university with COVID and everything, there is no space to talk about what, what happens when you feel sad or burned out or overwhelmed. Um, what are steps that you have to take and everything. And I feel like talking about the future of work and everything, it's important to talk about dormancy and sabbaticals and all these kind of things. And it's important to know that when you start your career, that you don't go for the career always, but also for your breaks. So that's a very present topic for me as well right now. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like this topic 
the the future of work and how we work in a way that's you know better for us as human beings is something that has happened in the last years. I.e., I started my career and didn't really have any conversation about all of this. I was in my mid thirties before I learned what a sabbatical that that there are organizations that give you a sabbatical after a certain point, and I feel like the we learn or we're socialized to understand Monday to Friday, nine to five, um, which I know that Doug has read the book, How to Be Idle, um, where it talks about the aristocratic uh, invention of the nine to five, Monday to Friday workplace. Um, but with internet technologies and with the way that the world has been moving because of technology, I feel like we have we're, we need to have a fully different conversation about what work is supposed to be at this point in time because we don't work in factories anymore. Nine to five does not make sense for everyone, especially me. I hate 9 a.m. Um, Laura, I think we should do a whole different episode about like the cadence of the work week, maybe digging into the history of um you know, and John, you might be interested in coming on talking about like the, the labor movement and, and how we got to the situation where, um, you know, I remember Adana's age and being younger and just not even thinking about the way that the world structured and organized in terms of our norms around work and how liberating it is to own your own business in conjunction with others, where you get to decide what normal is and and, and what, how you want to be as well. And it, it takes time. It's it's never done. It's always kind of a work in progress, which is why, you know, before recording this podcast, we've had our co-op day. We're thinking about what it is we want to do. We make tiny decisions about the placement of text on a badge through to like what kind of work we want to do in the future as an organization and do we need to change our organizational structure? Like these are all things on the table as opposed to being put in a little box somewhere and being told that you can take this holiday at this point at this time um, and make sure you report back. Yeah. Yeah. I already feel one step ahead because I haven't read how to be idle, which surely (laughs) is the point of the book. Maybe (laughs) we will. Well, I think we've linked to the book uh, in show notes of past episodes. Actually, (laughs) it made a big impact on me, this particular book. Um, but yes, we will definitely, um, in future episodes of the Tao of Wow, talk more about the future of work, internet culture, co-op-y stuff. It's kind of what we do. Um, how about we all say cheers for now, and we will see you later. I will probably cheers for cut now. That bit out. <laughs> Bye.